This is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. I'm David Latimer, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Sherelle Boyer. Hello. How are you? Glad to be back. I'm glad you're back. Of course. (laughs) So what I wanted to talk about first, this was something that was sort of going on last week when we were off, but has sort of reached its sort of conclusion now, and that is the tariff threat for Mexico. Oh, my gosh. So obviously, if you've been following this, you know... Uh, Trump really wants to crack down on the immigration issue with Mexico, and he threatened them with tariffs, which is one of those things that he's been threatening for really any issue that he's got. Strong tariffs at that. (laughs) Right. So what he wanted to do was, uh, I believe it was on like June 5th, he wanted to implement a 5% tariff on goods going from Mexico to the U.S., Mm -hmm. and then increase it by 5% every month. So the point was to get them to do something quicker about their immigration policy. Right. So that didn't go over well, both with Democrats and surprisingly also Republicans in the Senate. Yeah. So because it's... I mean, that is, that's a lot of money Mm -hmm. and that's losing a lot of connections. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought it was going to bring like, this is what I've heard some conservatives say, that it was going to bring America together and like make more... I mean, everyone thinks that we're going to magically have all these factories and we're going to move things like have our industrialization come back to America and we really well, can't Well, return, return to uh, a time that doesn't really exist anymore. Exactly. And we, I mean, mm-hmm. it takes a village. It takes all of the countries to get one country going. Right. So it's just crazy to me that they think that that's going to be, you know, the pinnacle point of like success. Exactly. Well, so what happened was the tariff threat got the attention of Mexico uh, and eventually, yeah. <laughs> eventually they agreed to... Some terms that now it's sort of coming out that they had sort of already agreed to, but the terms were that they would send more of their National Guard to the uh, Guatemala-Mexico border, so down on their southern border, right? as well as the northern border between the U.S. and Mexico. They would have, if you're applying for asylum in the U.S., they'd make you wait in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I believe there also had something to do with, there's a rule that they'd like to implement that is... If you're traveling through Central America, you have to claim asylum at the next country that you're in, as long as you're no longer in danger. So if you're coming from uh, below uh, Guatemala, you can't travel up through Guatemala, up through Mexico to claim asylum in the U.S. You have to claim asylum at the next country. Which is, uh, I mean, it's so sad because if you're trying to get asylum like you're obviously in some type of trouble right but if you're if you are in trouble and if you do need to claim asylum wouldn't going to any country outside of the country that you're in danger wouldn't that be enough you'd think yeah i mean it's just the the whole thing it just seems like trump has this strong hatred for just mexico and mexicans i mean it's literally it seems like we're just letting him pass with racism that's what it feels like it feels like we're just be openly saying like, oh, I mean, let's call it like it is. He just doesn't like the amount of people. Who are you to say that these people can't come to the country? Granted, there are a lot of Mexicans coming in here illegally. And, I, you know, for that part, I do understand because as a taxpaying American, it is frustrating when I pay all this money to go to college and the next person's going for free. So, I mean, I do understand that. But when you have people that are trying to come the right way and you're making it harder on them, I don't think that's fair because like... Land, I get it. Each country owns its land. Like, I understand that there's ways that it's set up. But why would you want to not have people 
feel welcome to come here. Well, I think the problem is, is a lot. I mean, people have had issues with the immigration process for a long time, and no one really has wanted to do anything about it. Right. And the, I think the bigger issue is that if we have such a problem with the way that Trump wants to handle immigration things, regardless of what he says, mm-hmm. it's the actions that I'm concerned about. If if we want to change what he's doing to enforce those things, then change the laws. If you have an issue with how we have asylum rules or the fact that we don't have enough immigration court judges, which is very true. Right. If you don't like that, then maybe we should change some of those rules so that way those who are seeking asylum or or those who are apprehended at the border don't end up, you know, oh, we'll give you a court date. Now we expect you to come back for this court date. And obviously they're not going to show up again because that's going to risk them being deported. So they're not going to show up. If they really wanted to be in the country, they're not going to do that. I just... I don't know. I just feel like Trump's rhetoric as well adds a lot of fuel to the fire. It's just he just seems so racist when it comes to this Mexican issue, this Mexican border issue. And it, it's just maybe for me personally, it's just his rhetoric because I went to open up the ideas and you look at the bullet points and you're like, OK, I understand the illegal portion of it. And I understand that, you know, The tariff things, I really wasn't for it. We got a lot of stuff coming from Mexico and, you know, and and I think that's that part. And that's true. But I think a lot of people with when it comes to the tariffs, they're not they're sort of looking at just the immediate. And I'm not going to defend tariffs, but Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give sort of the more nuanced look at tariffs. Speak on conservatives. So so the (laughs) idea with the tariffs, or at least the in theory, is that, yes, if you impose a tariff, it is imposed on the importers so the people basically when the goods come in whoever's bringing them in and in the country they, they have to pay the tax. Yeah, right they, they have to pay the tax and then those companies then pass that on to consumers mm-hmm. so so the problem is that they're saying well now the tariffs are affecting the american people except if you look at the long game americans are pretty frugal and americans are pretty you know pay to paycheck to paycheck or are going to look at that and see hey the price of mexican avocados just went up i actually they're not a necessity despite what anyone tells you about millennials (laughs) avocados are not a necessity so we're not going to spend that extra increase on it we're going to just maybe cut back and go with an alternative instead so rather than it hurting um the the consumer they're going to end up just not buying that thing and it's going to hurt the companies that are sending the products in anyway whether they're the the mexican importers or whatever it is the idea that it's not just the immediate tax it sort of comes around full circle so again not that i'm defending tariffs but it seems it's like not just so simple you want me to stop eating avocado toast because of your president's tax tariffs oh uh, well maybe that's Who maybe that's the end are game here. you <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, maybe we should stop with the avocados, maybe. And and the other thing that they'd like to talk about is, oh, well, because of our auto industry and that's where a lot of our oh, car parts go. go to Mexico. Well, who do you know that's buying new cars every day? Like, Americans are not buying new cars every day, or at least average Americans are not buying new cars every day. I was about to say, because Kylie Jenner is known for buying, like, a Bentley, and so... I mean, millionaires, they will spend money. Of course, the elites are going to be spending money (laughs) and they don't care. And that's not their problem. So the regular average person will maybe say, you know what? I'll wait this out. I don't need a new car right now. I'm going to wait until it's the cheapest price possible. Why would you have to sacrifice that? Why would you have to sacrifice your wants and desires for, you know, just... 
Well, it's not. Just, it's it's not. I don't think it's sacrificing. It's just. But if you wanted, that's the thing about you know being an adult and being here in America. You want it, just go out and get it. You work hard for it, go out and get it. And now it's like, oh, I have to wait for an avocado because one avocado went from being five dollars to freaking fifteen dollars now. But I think it's less about that, and it's more about just knowing how to be responsible with your own money and your own self interest. So like. But that's such like a. I don't want to say it's like a selfish thought, but it kind of is. Right, but don't you know that like. Say I know you don't watch TV, but <laughs> say you're going to to get a new TV. You want okay. a really big, obnoxiously large, you know, eighty inch TV. Mm-hmm. Do you know when the best time to buy a TV is? <laughs> Not Black Friday. <laughs> well, in general, uh, right around Super Bowl is a good time to buy it. Okay. Because people want to buy nice big TVs to and watch the Super Bowl parties, on. Right. Right. So instead of buying my TV, you know, the very beginning of January or maybe middle of summer for some reason, maybe I'll wait until around Super Bowl Sunday to get a new TV. Because in my head, I know that's how to be the most responsible with the money. Even if it's something I want, I'm going to be responsible with my money and get it when it makes the most sense. Not, I need it right now. And most Americans are not immediately need to get something the second they want it. True. But what about the few Americans that are, that spontaneous gesture? Like that is what makes you, you know, if you have... If it makes you happy, then go and do it. But the fact that you can do it is the drive. Well, then maybe they need to make the more conservative uh I think you view. should teach a class on responsibility. Maybe uh, fiscal responsibility. <laughs> That's the Republican way. I will be your first student. Well, and, and <laughs> I think the other issue with the whole tariff thing is that a lot of these things were, uh, it's coming out now that supposedly they were already sort of agreed to by Mexico. I did read that, yeah. But like, I, I think this sort of jump-started, in my mm-hmm. opinion, I think. I, it sort of jump-started the sort of the need for Mexico to take it seriously and like, hey, we really will put these tariffs in there if you don't do what you said you were going to do. But on top of that, like you said, it's already been agreed to, but not a lot. Like, I didn't know that until an article came out about it about, what, a week or a few days ago. So, I, like you said, I do think it was a jump start for it because most American people knowing about it now were like, hold on, mm-hmm. hold on. Which well, just proves that the media is failing us. It, yeah, but it also did help us in the situation. And it was somewhat of a manufactured crisis because he we were already getting all those things he imposed these or was going to impose these tariffs and now he canceled them and now he can claim victory which you know what it's a political strategy that's working for him not that i necessarily agree with it but if it's working for him it's going to get his base excited and it's going to get you know more votes for him not talk about re-election of this man 2020 biden 2020 So next, what I wanted to talk about, actually sort of what you wanted to talk about, is fandoms and specifically some enthusiastic music fans. Oh, yes. yes so yes. so what, what do you have to share? I, this past week, actually felt like a vice reporter. Does that make sense? Like, I felt sure. like I was doing investigation journalism. Mm-hmm. It was, I went on a ride. Let's just say that. So for three days, I was a roadie. And yes, I was a roadie. I was like a hippie. And I was with a friend who does this basically for a living. And basically, she follows a certain band around. And she follows them around the country. And she's actually taking an international now. That's how big this whole fandom thing came in. And I followed this band from New Jersey to Maryland to North Carolina. And then that's when I was like, I have responsibilities and I need to go home. <laughs> but for most people, it didn't stop there. I met a lady from Australia. Very, very nice. Very, you know, 
just great people. I met a lady from Australia who was over here in America doing the whole tour, the whole U.S. tour. So it was, it was pretty cool. But um, I was the concert started at 7.30 p.m. I was at the venue at 3 a.m. Oh, oh no. Yes. Mm-mm. And to make it even worse, I was number four in line. So the way it works is that you go to these venues super early. It was pitch black outside, of course, 3 a.m. You go there, they put a marker on your hand. It tells you the number you are. So the fandom that comes after you, they respect your number. They're like, okay, so you'll be fourth in the venue. So that's one thing. Everyone has respect for each other. Um, People bring snacks. They literally are just having a party at the front gate of this concert until 730. It, It was just craziness. And the way I looked at it was uh, millennials really do have this thing where we just feel so in touch with celebrities that we we don't have the boundaries that our parents had, where it was like our parents would be like, oh, I heard her on the radio and like I fell in love with this song. Like we have this social media thing where we're just like, okay, well, like, you know, she's here and I can be at this Walmart, the same Walmart that she's at right now. Like she just uploaded a picture and I can like do that. And it's really scary. Well, I have my question would be, is that a real connection or is that more of a putting us into this sort of false reality of, oh, I feel like I'm actually their friend and I know this person. And because I can Google them and look at all this information about them and learn and read about them, that must mean I know them and I can see well, exactly where they are because they post their location which is exactly weird well though the part that kind of made me feel a little bad was that i met people that felt as if they did have this personal connection with this you know particular artist and it seemed as if they did i mean they were in contact with their band their security they were writing letters to the artist the artist was writing letters back to them i mean it's clearly different than most fans right so yes this was like a, a different base but it was very interesting because it kind of felt like like cat and mouse at the same time because it seemed as if like this artist is so friendly is so this and at the same time is like but are they i well to like, me is, can you be friends with your world with your fan well base? of like, course you can't because they're not really your friends they're paying money to see you you know like right, so when if they you... were really your friends you'd be hanging out backstage <laughs> and not paying money to be there it's true and, and it's crazy because you don't know these people and it's like people like the people that I met they don't know they feel like they know this artist because of you know the lyrics and the music and how like she posts on Instagram and our social media and all that but is that really like their authentic self I don't think so and that's my thing and I feel like it's so crazy because millennials look at it as oh well like she got personal with me she told me this but like She's probably telling the next fan in New Zealand the same thing, and you guys will never know. If you check their fan pages, I'm sure a lot of people know some of that personal information. It's not, like, shared information that no one else would know. It's probably in their, like, trivia about that (laughs) artist, you know? It's, to me, it's, I think, worrisome for some. Not not that, like, being a fan of an artist is a problem and going and and seeing tours. Mm. I just think for some, it's worrying only because it does put you in this weird place where you feel like they know you and you know them and they're like you're somehow different or special to them when really you're just any other person you just happen to be really really excited by them and i just worry that like some people are not in touch with reality because of that you know that was my fear and then um 
people were getting tattoos of like the signature and all these other things. And I was like, where's the line? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I realized that millennials versus what are our parents called? Another generation. Oh, minor boomers. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, no, my mom's a little young. Just kidding. So, oh. oh, sorry, mom. You're not a boomer, but he's younger. But um, just talking to my mom and like other my grandparents, they I mean, we did talk and they were just like, we would never go that far for it. You know, and they're like, I don't know anyone that would. The most is like, okay, you had Woodstock and you had groupies from like the 70s and all that other stuff, the 80s. But those were kind of like, you know, you go on tour, do what you have to do and then you leave and then that's that. But now we're to the point where it's like, I mean, you're constantly stalking your celebrities. Mm -hmm. You can easily slide into celebrities DMs. And I feel like celebrities also take advantage of the fact that they can kind of do that cat and mouse game with you. They can upload a picture of them at a Walmart and then be surprised that everyone, all of their fans are at that exact Walmart. I just think it's romanticizing a false reality that it's this idea that somehow you're special to them and you're just, you're not. And and I worry that some people don't understand that line. It's a little scary because, I mean, people are really putting like, their money towards this their lives towards this their jobs and i'm just trying to think if there's anyone that i would do that for and i really don't think so like (laughs) there i have some favorite artists that absolutely i would want to see live and i would want to see them if i could multiple times my but not uh, follow them exactly i mean my favorite band of all times which you probably don't even know my favorite band is the black keys and i'm more upset that i'm going to two concerts of theirs i already feel like that's too much but that's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's it's me. I mean, it depends. It depends on the concert. It, it depends will. on the venue. Depends where you're going. <laughs> I'm going to one in Philly and I'm going to one in Orlando. So, but that's. Uh, well, that's better. I've been, yeah. I've been to one's South Jersey natives know the BB&T Pavilion. <laughs> oh, of course. I've been to the BB&T Pavilion for several concerts and you could do better. <laughs> if you knew better, you'd do better. Exactly. But I don't know. It, it definitely was. Um, it, I did see the difference in between, between millennials and other generations and it was very interesting to see how social media really does play a huge part in how we feel like we're so close to someone but yet so far away because you are far away i don't know it's not for me chief (laughs) that ain't it boss nope so lastly what i wanted to talk about is youtube Uh, So on YouTube, there is the news organization Vox. Mm -hmm. They do an online video series called Strike Through, and it's hosted by Carlos Mazza. Okay. And he does this segment basically just talking about different aspects of news and things like that and just sort of outlining, you know, things that are going on. He has a little thesis statement, points out everything, whatever. Okay. Well, then there's also a conservative guy on there, Steven Crowder. Um it seems like good shows always get ruined by conservatives. Listen, Except so millennially speaking. Well, I wouldn't call him conservative, but he so he sort of rebuts everything that uh, Vox does. Okay. All of the the strike through shows. So every time there's a new strike through episode, he sort of debunks it and talks about it. Well, he has been using language that is inappropriate for who Carlos is. Carlos identifies as queer. Okay. But he's using Steven Crowder is calling him a lispy queer and a lispy gay Latino. Oh. The gay queer, the Latino queer, whatever he's using. Very derogatory and very clearly in a mean way. So okay. Well well so so Carlos went on to YouTube and he's basically tweeting at YouTube like 
he compiled a whole video series of times when he's done this, when Steven Crowder has said these things, and he's basically asking, where's the line? What exactly is the policy here? Because YouTube, in general, and you know this, mm-hmm. is unclear about what their policy is in terms of harassment. So I don't know what their policy is, but what ended up happening is they sort of flip-flopped on it. They said, after review, it doesn't violate policies. Then they said, after review again, it does, but we're just going to demonetize him, which won't really affect him because he gets his money from selling merchandise. Mm-hmm. And Carlos pointed this out and they said, well, we won't, we can't remonetize him until he removes links to his clothing. So <laughs> what, what do you think about the, what they did? Okay. Um, I just want to go back to the whole, like him. So he was saying queer and he was calling him. He was calling him a lispy queer is sort of his, um, go to, uh, phrase, yeah, I, I which did is... see the video of that, which was very, it, it's super weird. I feel like it's a grandma saying. But it's weird because is it, we know that he's being offensive with it, but it's not super, like, vulgar, I guess? Would you, I don't know, would well, you it's, consider it's, it to be? It's not that it's vulgar, it's that there's context for everything, and I know we discussed this before the show, but mm-hmm. not to compare them, but I will say there are certain people and there's a certain time when the N-word can be used in a certain context. Right. Whether it's in rap or just amongst black people. Which but we are not okaying that word. I'm but, not I'm yeah. not I'm not gonna go there, but in certain contexts it is used and people don't have an issue with it. Right. But when it's used as a derogatory, if someone is directing at someone and calling them the N-word, then it is an issue. Clearly it's a problem. Which I understand that. But then the difference between the N-word and queer is that queer is in the LBG, LBGTQ. Forgive me, there's so many letters. I'm here for it, but there's so many letters. But I do know that Q is in there. So, I, I mean, it's like we said before when we were talking. Is Right now, I feel like the only case they have against him is maybe harassment. But for the, what he's saying, it does seem crazy. But there is also the Westboro Baptist Church that we discussed. And this is a church that, I mean, they boycott military funerals. Like, they're pretty, morally, it's so wrong. But mm-hmm. when they their case got taken all the way to the Supreme Court and the Westboro Baptist Church won because they were doing everything literally on the line of the law. Everything they did was legal. And I feel like that's kind of what this guy's doing because even though he's saying, like, oh, uh, lispy queer or a latino and all that other stuff well he is queer he openly said that Mm -hmm. he was queer he is latino so to us it may seem so aggressive the way that once again rhetoric rhetoric is everything so that might be a big part of it but at the same time you're also out there in the world and you're subjected to this type of criticism from people and this guy oddly enough has an obsession with you clearly well i think my my main issue with it is less about what they're doing and saying and more about YouTube again not being clear on where the line is being drawn and that when they flip-flop on decisions basically just at a whim based on how public opinion is that's not how you run a business that's not how a business is supposed to work is boundaries at that right it's you know survey says what does consensus say that's not right right you need to stand on something and stick with it and if in the beginning, they decide, you know what, he doesn't violate our policies, then go with that. And the other issue is that they're also in this era of conservatives yelling about 
well, there's conservative, you know, bias against conservatives in the internet and liberal bias, and they're not letting conservatives speak. They're trying to prevent that kind of optics of a left-leaning website with a left-leaning personality goes after somebody who is criticizing you, who happens to be on the conservative right side. Right. Oh, well, we'll take all his videos down or we'll demonetize them or whatever. Clearly, it looks like, oh, well, there's kind of a conservative bias there. True. Which they're trying to avoid that, but you can't... Right is right and wrong is wrong. You can't go based on that feeling. And that's why I said you need to stick to whatever your guidelines are and whatever your morals are instead of going by what public opinion is because public opinion changes at a whim. Right. And then you'll just be correcting policies, you know, every day. This is so annoying because conservatives, you guys do this. You guys literally know how to push every button. And then as soon as we come back, it's like, oh, you guys are snowflakes. You're so sensitive. Meanwhile, you have this aggressive, uh, you know, abusive terminology and rhetoric once again and we're the ones that are sensitive it's not being sensitive it's just being like maybe it is being sensitive at the same time well listen i don't i don't believe in the internet conservative bias because i mean even just this week ted cruz had and i saw there was a lot of a lot of no a lot of people were, were laughing about it is that ted cruz tweeted something out he was like um he just followed i forget who he followed he followed a conservative on twitter and then he was pointing out how all the suggested people were all democratic senators i'm but the point is that he followed a senator so now he's getting suggestions of other senators and to be fair yes they were all democrats but they're all in the same category they're the same thing there's not a bias there it's just and and when they say that oh well when you google search for a particular news thing it's all negative stuff about trump comes up and you don't get the positive stuff because they're going based off of algorithms of what are people looking for? Well, this is seen as a more reputable site. This is most visited. This comes up and seems to be most fitting with what most people are looking for, not just positive looks at Trump. They're just looking at this site gets more visits than whatever random conservative news outlet that you're looking at that gets a quarter, an eighth, a sixteenth, whatever of the number of hits that CNN gets. I mean, it's just is YouTube like the new Facebook now with this whole bullying stuff like it's well just... should steven crowder first should steven crowder be demonetized and two should he potentially be removed don't hate me for saying this but no <laughs> really i don't think so i think that you have a platform and you're exercising your first amendment right but when you're exercising your first amendment right and you're doing it within you know the the law you can't be sensitive at that. That's just, well, you, I mean, with the good comes the bad. And yeah, it sucks. But also to this guy, put on your big boy pants and if anything, fire back at him. Make your views go up, if anything. All I would say is that, yes, the First Amendment applies in that the government can't censor him. But if that company, if YouTube decides, you know what, I I don't want to be part of this negativity and I don't want him on there. Then they they have cut. every right yeah. to be able to block him because they are a private company, not the government. So if they don't want to allow the same thing as to when they banned Alex Jones and the like, if we don't want him on our platform, he's more than welcome to go and stand out on a street corner and speak and share his opinions. Well, that's another thing. I but feel not like on our platform. if you're that 
aggressive toward and you're that for it then i do think that you should move off of youtube's platform and build your own website it's these people will find a platform they it's, will find it, it literally is if tommy what are tommy, tommy Lahren, Lahren. if she was out there doing it anyone can do it that's my thing i really feel like if you really want to exercise your first amendment right go out and do it there's thousands millions of ways that you can do it YouTube at the same time, I would totally agree if they did want to pull him off of their platform. But at the same time, I am also fine with the fact that they're not because he is doing it within his rights. I would just say maybe Steven Crowder needs better arguments and points than to be <laughs> name calling. To kid, yeah. Right, to be name calling doesn't seem like the most effective tool well, in yeah, terms like of your said, arguments. I mean, that's just a fallacy. So right then and there, your argument is just done. <laughs> Which is why I don't call myself just a conservative. I'm more than that. You're a moderate conservative. I'm a moderate. He's moderate. And that's all for this edition of Millennially Speaking. I'm David Latimer. And I'm Cheryl Boyer. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share us with your friends. We're also on Instagram at millennially underscore speaking and on YouTube, Millennially Speaking. We'll be back next week.